Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I have a two-hour episode for you discussing the news that did not come from Emerald City Comic Con, such as Erica Henderson leaving Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. We also talk about the first issue of Oblivion Song by Robert Kirkman and Lorenzo Di Felici, Judge Dredd, Mach 1, and other British badasses, the finale of Milk Wars, the career zigs and zags of Jeff Lemire, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Graham McMillan. It it works. It works. Hi, everyone. Uh, second time we tried to do this because the headset wasn't working last time. But it's working this time. Everything's fine. Apart from my... But apart from that, everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, so what's what's the what's the story of Morning Glory? Uh, you've heard of Con Crud. I have. I have. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm recovering from Con Crud. What's funny and uh, not funny at all, but kind of, I was going to say ironic, but it's also not ironic, damn you, Alanis Morissette, is that I got it, and I was pretty bad on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, I was like, oh, I'm feeling much better, everything's great, why don't I do a lot of stuff today? Mm-hmm. And, like, Thursday and Friday, and especially today, my body's been like, you shouldn't have done stuff. <laughs> you should not have gone out, you should not have seen people, like, that was a very bad idea, you should have just kept yourself recovering. I, I should, you know, Jeff, I've spent the entire day in bed. Oh, God, Graham, I... Do you feel any better after having spent the whole day in bed? I do. I, I do. Yeah, it, it's... Because I, I feel like I sound pretty bad now, mm-hmm. but I honestly feel, like, significantly better than I did this morning. So, it's all good. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully, Hopefully this is on the mend, and the podcast will not damage your fragile health. And just send you spiraling back downward, so. Well, if, if it does, it's because of comics. <laughs> comics get sick. And actually, the, the, when I said it like I went out on, on Wednesday, it made myself sick. It's because I was meeting, uh, Heidi McDonald's was in town. Now I went to meet up with Heidi. And so yeah, comics made me sick. Comics made me sick again. That's right. Uh, and yeah, so who knows? Maybe the podcast is going to make me sick to underscore how sick I can get because of comics. Yeah. I, that makes a lot of sense, and um, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what this experiment brings. Uh, you know, exactly. will I audibly get worse during this podcast? That's something we should all bear in mind. Yeah, yeah. Take, place your bets now, everyone. Place your bets what now. Else? Listen, and in the comments, you can say the minute that you think I started getting really sick. <laughs> Boy, we really are. We're we're being pretty cavalier here. We're just we're just daring the gods to strike you down. So I I hope. Oh no, really? Like I I honestly feel like I'm 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 on the up. Okay. So so otherwise I I honestly would have said like we have to skip. But no, I'm like I'm going to sound weird, but other than that, I think I'm okay. Well, uh, uh so do you want to tell me about uh, Emerald City Comic Con? You might have heard of this place called Seattle, Jeff. <laughs> It's, uh, I'll tell you this much, it's fucking freezing. Really? Yeah, I, I, I live in Portland and I was like, I'm, like, I'm okay. I was even joking with people who were coming in from out of town. And I was like, you should bring your layers. You don't understand what it's like for those of us who live in the Pacific Northwest. We understand this shit. And, uh, and honestly, I spent the entire time being like, it's fucking freezing. What's up? <laughs> what is going on? This is ridiculous. 
Um, it was a really weird show. Not in a bad way, but just in a... I mean, you've seen what's what's basically been going on in, in comics news recently. Have I? So, in, in, well, in this past week alone, mm-hmm. um, the PR person from Valiant has left, the PR person from IDW has left, uh, Chris Ryle has left IDW, um, and, I, I, like, a lot of that was sort of on the floor, like, I knew right. that was happening at the show, mm-hmm. and so there was this weird thing where you're, like, you're meeting people who, you know... Steven from IDW, Hunter from Valiant, like, I've, I've worked with them for years. Mm-hmm. And then it's literally like, so I guess this, this is it. <laughs> this is kind of weird. You know, okay, sure. Um, yeah, so there was, there was a bunch of that going on. There was a bunch of, and I think I said this about last year's Emerald City as well, an awful lot of, like, off the record meetings. Mm-hmm. I suppose, like, news didn't really break, you know? There was nothing where everyone was like, what, this this is just broken, have you heard about this? Mm-hmm. There was nothing really where people were like, this is the book of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more, you know, have you got half an hour? Because I want to talk to you about blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, hide in a corner type thing. Mm-hmm. Which makes for a, an interesting show, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it makes for a really weird show. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, for example, um, I was talking to someone just I think it was on Tuesday and they were like how was your show and I, I was like I had a lot of meetings <laughs> and they were like is that good and I was like I think so <laughs> I, I, and they were like what their meetings about and I was like about business stuff mm-hmm. you know because it really is like um, you know uh, upcoming launches or uh, you know when when things are dropping or the, how sales figures have been impacted by particular decisions mm-hmm. which isn't interesting to most people mm-hmm. but it's actually central to my job right yeah 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 you know? so it's, this, it's this really weird thing where people are like well what did you learn and I'm like well I learned that so and so like this imprint sales went up five times last year and they're like okay <laughs> and I was like yeah but it's important to me like it, it you know it means something to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, yeah it was it was it was that sort of a show mm-hmm. um, I saw a bunch of people which was which was lovely great uh, I did see a bunch of people which was slightly less lovely. I actually feel really bad because I didn't see Amy Tater Pie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, on the bus back down on Sunday, she's like, "Hey!" It's so, like I saw that like a day before on Twitter. She direct messaged me, and I hadn't seen it. And she's like, "Are you at the show?" And I was like, "I'm on a bus home now. Sorry." <laughs> and she was like, "It's no problem." And you could tell just from the way she said, "It's no problem." I was like, "I I fucked up." Like I, I'm sorry, but uh, like, but I mean, I didn't see Dylan Todd. I know he was at the show. I didn't see Ken Lowry. I know he was at the show. Uh, I didn't see. There was a bunch of people who were tabling who I didn't see because they were always busy, which was great. Mm-hmm. But like uh, Paul Tobin and, and Colin Coover, I didn't get a chance to see because every single time I went past their table, people were talking to them, and I don't want to interrupt. Of course, I mean? like you yeah. don't want to be like, hey, like I might be taking a sale away from you. Mm-hmm. Um. Of the people I did see, Hannah Blumenreich is a fucking joy, Jeff. I bet. Have you, have you ever had a chance to talk to her? No, 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 never. Oh, Jeff, you've got to go to a show just to talk to Hannah Blumenreich. Mm-hmm. It will be worth the price by itself. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I follow Hannah on Twitter and uh, very enjoy her tremendously. She is a, a uh, funny and salty person, at least on Twitter. Yes, and, and in person. Mm-hmm. I should say that too. Like, which, which is honestly what makes it so delightful to have a conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I saw Adam Nave, I saw Jody Hauser, I saw uh, the, the, a lot of the Heliosquote people, including uh, Odd Koch, who I never met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odd, Odd did the, like a couple of issues of Ultimates and the Last Week in Divine special, mm-hmm. and it's done like a bunch of different things. And I love Odd's work, I really do. Mm-hmm. And this is like I, I I get really weird talking to people about their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was making fun of me because I met Evan Shaner and I just like went to pieces because I fucking love Shaner's work. I really do, and I was like, I love you. I'm really, I'm this is really unprofessional. But I love you. I love you so much. I love you. <laughs> uh, but I'm talking to odds, and I'm like, you know, I really like your work. I think your work's great. Uh, and I, I said I really particularly like the issues of Ultimate you did with Al Ewing. Mm-hmm. And Odd went. That's really nice to hear because I've had more criticism on those issues than anything else I've ever done in my life. What? Fuck all of you Marvel fans. Yeah, seriously, that's terrible. Yeah, I, I like. I really was like, "Fuck you!" I hope you become horrifically successful, and then like you can fucking buy Marvel. <laughs> like I really did upset when she, when she said that. Um, like other people that I saw but didn't have a chance to talk to. Jane Miles were there, but again, always super busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really was, like, it was, it was this odd thing of like, oh, there's people I know, but I don't have a chance to talk to them. Oh, there's other people that like, I, like I know on Twitter, like, like, uh, Evan Jenner. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I've never met and I'll go up and I'll just like completely embarrass myself in front of them. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a nice mix of that in, in amongst the, like, the business of it all. Mm-hmm. So it was good. It was a good show. But I came back and I got sick. Got so, sick, yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's what happened. Yeah. The, the con crud. True sign that you're a professional. Uh, let me ask you, Graham, cause I wasn't paying attention. So was there, was there not any news? <laughs> no, not to what you were saying. I was <laughs> hanging on every word, but I mean like this last week there's been other stuff going on. So I'm just like, I, I like I saw like two little frag slivers of, of comics news, uh, both Marvel related and both people leaving. But I was curious if there was any official news that came out of the show at all, or there was anything that came out of the, uh, there, there the show really that you could talk that came about. Out the show. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really anything that came out of the show. Um, just before the show, like literally, I think the day. I, it, no, actually, it was the first day of the show, but it wasn't announced at the show. Uh, DC finally made the uh, Sandman universe announcement. Right. Oh, okay. The Amen show running the the four series. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I did see that, and that you know. That wasn't made at the show itself. That, right. That, were they not at like the show? They were. And huh. two days later, they had a Vertigo panel where they talked about it. Why they didn't announce it then? Who, who knows? Literally, I have I have no idea the mechanics around that. But, I mean, for that matter, I speak as, like, I wrote the, the DC Black Label announcement mm-hmm. uh, for TCR this week. And that came two days before they were at South by Southwest talking about it. So maybe this is the way they do things now. Maybe it sort of makes sense. Two days before the, the event. And then that way um, there's a reason for people to show up at the panel, I guess, and find out more and about it. What was interesting was the vertical panel was really sparsely attended. Mm-hmm. Like shocking. So, but I don't know if you saw this online. They gave out a code so that everyone can download all 75 issues of Sandman for free. Oh no, I didn't see that. Wow. Yeah. They were like, like literally, they're they're doing the like because Gaiman did like a, an intro video that they released online. So they're showing the video again, and people just come over with cards, and it's like, here's a redeem code for all of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Wow, that's a very cool little perk. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Important. Yeah. So so that was that was uh, a fun. Mm-hmm. 
with sort of give away. I can't think of any massive announcements at the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure there were some. Mm-hmm. But literally none come to mind. Again, things that like broke during the show that I'm thinking of weren't broken at the show. Like Kelly Thompson's doing a Nancy Drew comic for Dynamite. That wasn't at the show. Hmm. Again, was like online. Mm-hmm. I don't even think I were at the show. I don't think Kelly was at the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's it's this weird disconnect. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, it, it it seemed it seemed like. But I think this is the second year running. This is true. I seem, it seems like Emerald City is not a show where people go to break news. Emerald City is a show where people go to see each other. Yeah. Um, there were. I don't think I'm really it's particularly talking out of, of turn saying this. There were a lot of meetings between creators and publishers at Emerald City. I'm sure. There were a lot of conversations about like you know oh well, you know maybe you could work for us in the future type things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what Emerald City is these days. It makes sense. I think Emerald City is the networking show, which does make sense, and it makes sense that there is a networking show. You know that that there's a show where you don't feel the need to break news, right? But it's it's interesting to go there for his press, right? Do you know what I mean? Like I came away with so much uh, backstory information, gossip mm-hmm. at the show, so I feel like I, it's it was well deserved, right? Uh, like I like I made connections at the show that I I'm not exaggerating I've been trying to make for years. Wow! So it, it definitely feels worthwhile for me from that respect. Mm-hmm. But you know, if anyone was looking and being like, "Well, I hope that I, you know, I hope he comes away with a big story that's going to you know break the traffic on the Hollywood Reporter," that was never going to happen. That was not happening. Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. So it's a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. Well, so. Uh... so- yeah. Distracted, Jeff. Are you okay? What's that? You sound a little distracted. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It was just quiet for a moment. I had that moment of, uh, are things going weird or, uh, you know, with our connection or not? There, there, there's, there's all the other stuff that we can talk about off air once we're off. Oh, right. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't worry. I will tell you, I will tell you gossip that will make your head spin. <laughs> head spin, Jeff. Well, uh, uh you may remember, and whatnots will also remember, that I've been saying, actually for a while now, that 2018 is going to be like an absolutely nut year. Mm-hmm. 2018 is going to be an absolutely nut year. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it, sadly. It would be great if it was going to be nuts in a good way, but um, and maybe it will, but I think it's definitely going to be nuts, hopefully, again, in a good way. but Or with good results coming out of it. But we'll see, man, we'll see. A little, little antsy about some of it. Actually, that that's... That's something, that was a conversation I had with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Which is like, how are you feeling about the year? Mm-hmm. You know, like, cause, as I say, like, I think 2018 is going to be carnage. I think 2018 is just going to be a really bad year. Right. Um, and a lot of people just don't agree with me. Right. Which, which was really, honestly, great to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was really good to hear a lot of publishers and a lot of creators be like, no, this is going to be a great year. Well, didn't this you- is going to be a- very, very good year. Didn't some retailer on Twitter tell you that, like, Marvel's on fire for them, just in terms yeah, of, Ryan, like... Yeah, Ryan Higgins, Ryan Higgins uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter speak was like, yeah, Marvel's rebounded. And then the Diamond chart came out and showed it. Wow, really? Which is nuts. Diamond, uh, Marvel have, like, six books in the top ten this year, this month. Wow, really? Yeah, and I think only one of them is a launch. No kidding. That that bodes well for them. That's uh, like Marvel Mar- actually does seem to be rebounding in sales. Wow. Which is which is really good. 
Mm-hmm. If, it, if it's actually happening, you know, right. uh, all snark aside about the quality of their books, mm-hmm. uh, if Marvel does rebound in sales, that's really good for, for the industry. Right. Right. Yes. Um, well, especially if, like, the six, they've got six out of the top ten titles, but, like, you know, they're, they're, that's because the top ten is now down to 30,000 or something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that's like the, the nice thing is, like, it's not. I yeah. think that they're all, they're all actually relatively strong sales. It might be, um, but I'll have to wait until the, the sales estimates, right? It might be, you know, the top ten looks great, and then as soon as you get to, like, 20, everything Right, falls yeah, off. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but definitely, like, it looks, uh, it's interesting because, Year on year, mm-hmm. February looked terrible. Mm-hmm. There's like a, 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 a horrendous, like a 19% unit drop or something. Oof. But it's uh, someone that's then like, it's because books were overshipped last year. Like apparently there was a 25 cent Walking Dead book and uh, then marked right. a 100% overship mm-hmm. on one of their titles. Right. Which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where literally you see what you want to see in the February sales. Mm-hmm. You can't see a oh this is this is not as bad as it could be or you can't see a this is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof oof oof. Well, let's. Uh, I'm glad to. Th- it's it's. I'm glad. I'm not. I'm not sure how glad I am for Marvel per se. But again, well, it's that's that idea it. of it's, like, it's yeah. one of those like, you know, you know, Marvel isn't getting any better. Like if Marvel hasn't learned its lesson, yeah, ugh, right, but. You also have to be like, but if it means the market isn't going to completely implode, <laughs> yeah. Do you know no, what I'm saying? Right. Like, no, even exactly. if it means the market implodes like three months later, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a good thing, yeah. So it really is one of those like, uh, uh, well, but also, yeah. <laughs> you, I take it. Well, of course you saw it, but I was, I, I think I only saw this today that Erica Henderson is uh, leaving Squirrel Girl. She just announced it last night. Yeah. She just announced it last night on Twitter, which is such a shame. Yeah, um, it, it really is. She's really going to be missing that book completely. I know. I know she's. I know other people have done like guest shots previously, mm-hmm. but honestly, every time Erica's not joined, that book is not as good. I feel the same way as too. I think. I think Squirrel Girl is a really hard character to get right. You know, both on the writing and especially the art side. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if they who they end up with and if they well, make that's it well, she made a big point of saying like the book isn't ending and mm-hmm. I'm still going to be doing covers she didn't say Ryan is still going to be writing which is I'm a little nervous yeah I know what you mean I know what you mean uh, I'm, I'm nervous on both sides actually because mm-hmm. on one hand I think I'd almost prefer if Ryan left at the same time right but I also I can't really imagine many other people who could take it over mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, because there's there is such a particular tone that the two of them bring to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that I can't imagine many other people being able to pull it off. It's interesting by by my hand right now at the desk is the, um, the second of the the Squirrel Girl novels they they make for kids. Mm-hmm. Did I tell you about the first book? I don't think you did. I fucking love it, Jeff. Yeah, like it's 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 wonderful. Uh, it's wonderful in large part because it is utterly true to what Ryan and Erica do in the comic mm-hmm. while not replicating it. Hmm. Uh, it really does take the joy and the optimism and the uh, silliness mm-hmm. of, of the comic and then turn it into like a, a 
I guess it's a middle reader book. Maybe it's a YA book. I think it's middle reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just works wonderfully. There are laugh out loud bits in the first book. In particular, there's like a four page sequence that is just squirrel names. <laughs> which is just absolutely fucking genius. Um, but it, it, it really does. It, it's the work of people who have clearly read the comic and love the comic, but also studied it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really looked at it and been like, what works here and what doesn't work here? Mm-hmm. And how can we turn it into a novel? So for example, cause the, the, the concept of the, the books is it's Squirrel Girl when she becomes Squirrel Girl. And mm-hmm. she's in, she's in high school. So she can't obviously be teaming up superheroes. Right. But she can text superheroes for advice. So you get a lot of the, like the goofy interactions, mm-hmm. but it's all through text messages. And so you get lots of like absolutely fucking nerdy Marvel jokes <laughs> because you know, she's texting the Winter Soldier and the Winter Soldier is just, you know, not having any of her. She's texting Tony Stark and Tony Stark is, you know, at once trying to flirt with her and then realizing who she is and is like, nope, nope, yeah. no, none of this, nope. Um, I, and it's just it's it's really fun but it's inclusive in the way that the comic is mm-hmm. uh, it's the point where if those people if the people that did the books took over the comic mm-hmm. I'd be completely done with it oh great but I can't I can't think of many other people who could take over the comic mm-hmm. I oh. mean who would you who would you like to see who would you like to see take over the comic that's the thing I'm 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 a little I'm a little brain dead when it comes to that sort of stuff like I'm sort of like ah, like ah. I can think of dream teams you right. know like mm-hmm. Noel Stevenson would be great but would never do it right 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 uh, yeah exactly stuff like that I don't know uh, of course I'm like Ian Boothby like there's a guy that I think is actually really funny and manages to do good all ages humor but also knows the all the prerequisite comic book nerd deep cuts to, to, you know, scratch that itch too. So I don't, I, you know, but oh, I, I don't know. I gotta say, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting seeing what happens to mm-hmm. that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that was, I thought you were going to say Chris Hastings for a second because I know you love Gwenpool so much. I do. And, and I thought about it. Believe me, I really did. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, Hastings. And part of me sort of, I, this is the weird thing about Squirrel Girl, is I'm sort of like, kind of like, I don't know if you get the tone right, even though... Yeah, I, I think it'd be too annoying. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a there's a real weird thing that 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 the that I feel uh, the Squirrel Girl team really is able to bring to bring to it, and and somehow I think it it's a real mix of Henderson's art can frequently undercut any sort of knowingness in Ryan North stuff or not, uh, you know, sort of keep it no, at it, levels. It, it softens, it mm-hmm. softens the, the, uh, the snark. Yeah. It's not, it, it's not, it's not, it softens the arch. Yeah. So it's not yeah, quite yeah. as arch and, and knowing, I guess. And so there's a way in which that works really well together. Um, you know, it's weird. There's something about Henderson's work and it's not like it would, um, I think it would be really hard to, uh, point to exactly how or where, but the Squirrel Girl issues actually kind of what she and North have done sort of remind me of Ditko's run on Spider-Man 
Like, I don't know, like... Okay, unpack that, I'm, Jeff. I'm not sure that I can, in a way, because I, I guess what I want to say is is that it's it's really idiosyncratic. Um, it's very much the work of different sensibilities. Um, you know, I mean, if you... I do believe that Ditko was the guy who, by the end, was just plotting the book and Lee was just oh, yeah. kind of dialoguing things. But, you know, Lee's dialogue goes a long, long way, especially on Spider-Man. Um, and and I feel like North and Henderson are far more simpatico, but there is something that's kind of sort of the way that I feel like Henderson's work is a bit of an acquired taste, but, like, when you when you get it, when you're into it, you love it. And part of what's great about it is there's kind of not really a lot else out there that looks like it to me and is so like expressive and, you know, and cartoony, but also really capable of a lot of nuance, I suppose, or subtlety or whatever. So, yeah. Um, and just kind of that idea of the book really can exist, even though it, touches on other parts of the the Marvel universe like like those issues of Spider-Man did it also has like a very distinct unique flavor that like that as we've just been saying really hard to um really hard to replicate and again part of that is so part of me is kind of like oh geez I wonder what they would do if if Henderson leaves and almost like the you know, you try and go and get someone that's almost Romita slick and kind of go in an opposite direction and see if that um, sort of pays similar dividends. I kind of don't think that it would per se, but anyway, so like I said, it's not, it's not a really great comparison because it's not one of those that's like, oh, I thought this up three days ago and have been ruminating on it ever since. But I just, when I think about it, it feels right to me there's little well, what's in... yeah what's interesting is like it makes sense to me but again mm-hmm. i can't really explain it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like when you said it, i was like yes you're right you know so i so i just don't know what that so i just don't know i just don't know there there but it is it's kind of when i heard that she was leaving i had that strong moment of like ah oh crap but at the same time also being like I'm very happy for her. I'm glad that she's, you know, she's taken a stab at create her own stuff, which can ultimately be more satisfying work, I suppose, sure. in multiple I, senses I'm, of the term. I'm very curious to see what she's going to come up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because she's, I mean, just looking at, if nothing else, looking at her covers from Squirrel Girl over the last three years. Mm-hmm. Like, she's astoundingly talented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... I, I'm sure you follow her on Twitter, and that's and that's how you find out about her leaving. But she's also ridiculously funny. This so is, if if this ends up as something that she's going to be writing and drawing, I'm I'm there for it. I'm right. really excited. Actually, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't follow her on Twitter, but one of the things that's really great about the Squirrel Girl letters pages is um, she contributes a lot of answers to letters, and mm-hmm. her stuff is always like. I, I think both funny and really, just really intelligent. You know, she's really she's, she's very thoughtful. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so. I don't think that comes across in her artwork a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like you can see the choices that she's made. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that, without it being, um, without it slowing down the artwork, mm-hmm. without you looking at it being like, oh, they, she spent a lot of time on this. It, it, but you can, you're still very conscious of the fact that there's nothing in there that she has not considered. Right. You know? And so it's, it's, it's great to see. It's, it, and, it's also great to make you, well, not great to make you want to see, but it does make you want to see where she goes next and mm-hmm. what she does next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, so that was a, a piece of news where I was like, oh, oof, wow, you know, so, um. And then, of course, the, the second piece of Marvel news that you saw. Yes. It's probably Heather Antos, right? Exactly. Which I, yes. The second, second piece we're talking about and the piece that I learned first. And that was, that is a bummer because she is the editor on Gwenpool and has been a strong leading force on that. And that's a book that is, uh, listeners of the podcast know that I, I like just a ton. So, um, yeah. One of these days I'll understand why, Jeff. <laughs> Like I like it fine enough. I don't get it. it's you and Al Kennedy. Yeah, Al really like, loves it too. Like, yeah, love mm-hmm. it, love it. Mm-hmm. And every single time I read it, I'm like, this is fine. <laughs> like I just don't get why why you both love it so much. Uh, but you do. You both like you have such affection for it, mm-hmm. that it that it's it always makes me feel. And I think I've talked about this in the past, like that I'm reading it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then I'm like, I don't get it, so it's got to be my fault. No, which is uh, very generous of you, but yeah, just the the fact is that we don't, you know, not not everything hits hits lands for everyone, well, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, so Heather Antos is gone. Mm-hmm. She is going to a cryptocurrency based esports site. Jesus, yeah. Because that's the obvious next step once you've been a Marvel editor, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I know. I mean, just. The, I say that probably know that's exactly what Axel Alonso is doing right now. <laughs> well, I mean, there is there is a way in which I mean, sort of, there is a little bit of a uh, well, you know, editors edit. You know, it's kind of a why why the hell shouldn't they? She's jumping over and becoming the the editor in chief for you know this crypto cyber eco gambling site that you know apparently has like a strong heady like online presence that needs like news and etc filled part of me is like sure go with that and and in her farewell note she or some of her tweets she mentioned the fact that she was planning on coming back to comics and you know i kind of hope that that's the case but it you know it's it's she she got a lot of like a lot of creators were like Oh my God, it's so sad. Like Jody Hauser, Kieran Gillen, yeah. uh, Tyclone Shelby, all, all very quickly were like, "This is a massive loss for Marvel." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's she's definitely got a lot of people who who are going to miss her. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so that was kind of a bummer. And so it's interesting. It's interesting that there's so much turnover. I mean, I the fact that Chris Ryle's leaving IDW is kind of astounding. Nuts, yeah. Right. Yeah. Nuts. 14 years and and he's he's stepping down. Yeah. Which I think is probably a again, I hope it's good for all involved. It makes a lot of sense. Ryle's one of those guys who clearly had you know, always kept his hand in creatively, you know, he always had a book or two coming out at IDW. Um they always seemed 
weird things. They weren't necessarily. <laughs> I'm really you hard. Weren't into Rom Space Knight. Yeah, no, actually, Rom Space Knight was one that I remember trying, and I remember thinking the first issue or two was kind of maybe it was three issues in. I was. It was decent. It just didn't really stand out for me in any way. And considering this is a guy who's like, hey, good news, I'm coming back and doing a sequel to my, you know, weekly world news comic book. You know, it's like me and Bat Boy. You know, I'm just like, I don't, uh, there's ways in which his, his stuff just somehow doesn't mesh with me, with me somehow. I don't know. Um, for, for what it's worth, the, the scuttlebutts, the word on the street is, uh, all, positive like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like he was pushed out or anything it seems like he's leaving entirely of his own choice yeah and, which, and that things that, that things are already lined up for him well i i'm i'm not surprised i'm very pleased uh he, for him he seems like uh he really did seem like the few times that i met him at cons or whatever as a really nice guy who really seemed to have a good eye for talent um, and I, I hope, I hope that, uh, I definitely wish him the best, but it was also kind of like, wow, I think, you know, comics is sort of, you get those patches where it seems like nothing changes. And then all of a sudden it seems like everything, everything changes, yeah, exactly. Right? And you're like, what's yeah, going on? I, I, this, this is definitely, again, speaking to like 2018 being a weird year, I think this is definitely going to be a year where like we end in a very different place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Not un- not unlike the first thirty issues of Robert Kirkman's Oblivion song, so I've been told. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a, a wonderfully, absolutely out there non sequitur! Uh, didn't the first issue of that just come out? How did the first thirty issues? Who who even knows where the first thirty issues end? Well, Kirkman does, and in in his afterwards, does supposedly, he yeah. What? He's, does he know? I don't know. We'll see. He says, he's like, my hope is, is that by issue 30, this book is gonna be in a totally different place than where we're starting with now. And, and he's no, a guy I, I who... I haven't read it, but it's got some good write-ups. Did you like it? Yeah, you know, honestly, I did. I did. It was, it would, it's interesting, you know, it's funny. There's part of me that's kind of, um, the, the part of me that's a nerd, uh, a, I guess not, not a process junkie, but like sort of an industry nerd is really curious to see how Oblivion Song goes before I move into talking about the issues and stuff, which is, um, that Kirkman is one of those guys that I sort of insist one of the things that, that really worked, you know, he's like the Walking Dead is clearly on the one hand sort of, a fluke. It's that kind of once in a generation fluke that like sort of the same way that you couldn't look at a comic book with like four turtles who were ninjas and be like, oh, that's clearly going to be the biggest thing, you know, to come out of comics for this decade. Uh, Walking Dead was kind of like, eh, I mean, I, I jumped on it. I read relatively early on. I, in, I enjoyed reading it. But one of the things that really struck me was because um, it was when I was first reading it was when I was still working at Comics Experience. I was still writing with Hibbs for the Savage Critic blog and, and I was also seeing his columns and for tilting at windmills in some cases proofing them before they came out. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was he like maybe it's year two, year three or so of The Walking Dead. 
he was giving Kirkman a lot of shit for basically not shipping on time. You know, like, Kirkman was like, I'm going to get 12 issues out this year. But he would do that almost marvelish, like, okay, these two issues are two weeks apart kind of thing, you know, after, like, a long gap. And and Hibbs was like, dude, you got to do better. There. And, and Kirkman's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And one of the things that impressed me about Kirkman was very much this idea of he seemed to really listen to the retailers, Hibbs and others, when they said, like, you've if you want to be a hit you've got to hit your deadlines you've got to be there when we say that you need to be there and so that we have a product that we can hand sell to customers with confidence and also when you build those habits you don't turn around and break them and i think it's fascinating reading uh the back of oblivion song where he my understanding is is that for select retailers uh they've already read the first six issues of oblivion song they've read the first arc and on the back letters page kirkman talks about the fact that they're starting issue 13 that he went and got 12 issues in the bag bef- you know and then started shipping and i th- you know all of that to me is the sort of thing where as a direct market proselytizer uh i tend to be like yeah He's doing it right. That is, that takes a lot of in front end investment, which of course, again, Kirkman's in the position to, to do that. But a lot of people don't necessarily do. And so part of me is like, is this book really going to be a big hit for him? You know, is, is, will this basically, will this work? Because it sounds like he spent a lot of time trying to, um, get it right, I guess. And the other thing that I want to mention is, is I think that it's interesting. He sort of talks about finding the artist for this, uh, Lorenzo di uh, Felici. Um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably not. And how, um, you know, Kirkman had, has had this idea for over a decade. And the fact that, you know, a lot of pieces really came together when he found di Felici, who, uh, is it, uh, uh, gosh, who's the invincible artist? Corey Otley? Uh, Ryan, Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley. Yeah, I don't know why Corey was coming up on there. Uh, introduced. Well, wasn't him. Corey Walker an artist for Invincible as well? Yeah, maybe that's why I've got it. I've got him perfectly co- co-joined. I don't remember. I'd have to look at the page to see which one it was that introduced, uh, Kirkman to DiFelici's art. But I did have that moment because the book is very heavy on the monsters. That I was like, huh, I wonder if Kirkman's had this idea for a decade. I sort of wonder if other projects like, um, uh, that, that really great, uh, Witch Doctor MD book, uh. Oh, uh, Brandon Cypher's book. Yeah. You know, it was like, yeah. how, how much of that was him like sort of investing in part in the artist? Cause the artist, of course, on that title is phenomenal. Um, Lucas Kelt. Ketner, Ketner? Lucy. Am I making his name up? No, I, I think that sounds right. Let's see. It's Lucas Ketner. Yay! You're, you're excellent. Yeah. What? As someone who's maybe read like two issues of the book, I don't know why I remembered what the I'm very impressed because I, I actually read like the first two trades and I'm kind of like, um, I don't, uh, it's, uh, yeah, Lucas Ketner. Uh, and Lucas with a K. I, um, 
you know, is the idea that Kirkman really has been personally invested in this story for a long time, or is really like kind of like, I want this to work and I want this to hit. All that said about the comic, um, you know, I picked it up. It's, you know, 40 some odd pages or so. And, um, I liked it. Part of me, part of me is like, I kind of have some troubles. A scene, scene, like, how the hell is he going to get to 30? B, Kirkman does some stuff in here that is like absurdly unsubtle. I mean, it's kind of, so far it's like the action adventure version of The Leftovers, you know, where it's like a huge chunk of people from a major sized city have disappeared and, uh, it, it, it for a long time everyone just thought they were gone they you know had vanished or whatever and it turns out that they'd been transported to the zone sort of this interdimensional um part of this dimension that sort of semi lays over so it's like i don't know like uh it's like the leftovers meets the mist so far where this one dude is who was part of the government team to that that was rescuing people from the zone and getting them out it's been shut down for funding that they've more or less the government said like we haven't found anyone else in a while there's you know most of the people who are out who are gone we're just going to write them off and they're gone and this guy keeps going back it was on the team so he's got access to the tools although they're sort of starting to break down because of course the government's not giving him the money to maintain him and he's more or less uh, a sort of a rogue going into this into these areas that are you know these sort of urban areas overgrown with um, monstrous ookiness and trying to find survivors and uh so it's like i said the leftovers meets the mist meets i guess a little bit of lost because of course by the end of the book you end up seeing some survivors scrutinizing him and being like who is this guy why is he kidnapping our people what's going on so and um, so, I mean, it's like a perfectly serviceable hook and it'll be interesting to see if in the back of his brain, like Kirkman is going to be able to properly spin his story, which I think is the idea of, of, I'm starting to think the, his idea of like communities in conflict, like communities that communities that grow up and how they understand or misunderstand each other is part of the engine that runs Walking Dead. I yeah. sort of dropped out on Outcast, but it looked in a super slow burn way, it looked like that's kind of part of where he was trying to go with Outcast as well. And I sort of see like, oh, okay, some of the groundwork's being set up here. But there's there's some real pieces that are very... Um, you know, of course, it turns out that the that the scientist has lost uh, one of you know his brother is one of the people who disappeared and still isn't found. You know, and so like every other scene is some new supporting character being like, "You can't fool me. I know you're doing this for your brother to find your brother." And it's like by the third time in like like a forty page comic, you're like, "Okay, okay, okay." Okay, I You're guess. Like, is, is there a brother happening? Is, is the brother? Is it all about the brother? Right, exactly. Like, ah, okay, you know, and it's and it's one of those things. One of the things that amused me, one of the great to me Kirkman moments, is when you get to issue twenty-five of The Walking Dead, and he's got this like 
full page spread where, you know, Rick Grimes announces like, we are the walking dead, you know, and it's like, and it's this it's supposed to be this whole holy shit moment where I'm like, I think I picked this up around issue 14 or so. I'm like pretty slow, but I think it, once you gave me about eight or nine issues, like it kind of, it kind of sinks in while you're standing in line to buy the comics or like, Oh, I guess, I guess the survivors are really the walking dead. And so the fact that Kirkman <laughs> is very much like, these, he's after his brother, his brother. And so at some point it's like an issue 25. Yes, family is the oblivion song. It's gonna, it's okay, okay, okay. Like the guy's not, you know, Kirkman has made a big success. He didn't necessarily get there from nuance. He got there from, you know, other tools. So it seems sort of silly for me to be like, well, Graham, it's... I can't believe the man behind The Walking Dead is suddenly dropping subtlety. Right, exactly, exactly. Bad news, Kirkman's lost his nuance. You know, like, that's, it's like, but of course I feel like an asshole, because part of me is like, yes, Graham, my problem with the book about the alt, the man who has to jump into alternate dimension, mon- alternate dimensions and fight monsters, is that it wasn't nuanced enough, is kind of, you know, it's, I guess it's what I do, like, no one should be surprised. Uh, and also I found the monsters like Defelici's like I think a really strong storyteller which will serve them very well but there's times with his monsters where I was like ah you know what I mean like it's, it's, it's a little bit of the okay what if there's a giant creature that looks like a cross between a mushroom no wait and a potato no wait and a marshmallow well, it's, it's not- is there not something about that that also feels very um, generically image? Like you're describing that, and I'm like, I feel like you're describing Paper Girls in a weird way. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that you, in terms of the way of the look, or in terms in of terms the... of like the it, it's bio horror, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's high concept bio horror. Well, you know, I honestly, I tell you, I think, and I could be wrong, A, there's just, it's funny, I didn't actually think of Paper Girls at all, although it makes sense. Um, I, For me, it kind of got that sense of, and I, I don't know enough about DiFelici, but it kind of had that... Um, you know how you know how like European artists um, ha- have that sort of strong influence where they draw the characters very realistically, and then they'll draw like the space monsters kind of goofy. Um, it his stuff is actually overall cartoony ish over you know m- more than not, but I really did find sort of his like oh yeah. There's like some sort of frog pelican thing with like four eyes. Sort of the way that it's done, it's done in a way that reminds me of like the tradition that the the Europeans have that kind of moves through like some of the uh, American underground slash uh, alternative early alternative stuff has. Like I'm like, yeah, it's somewhere like if when Frank Bruner's drawing what Von Bode's drawing, what Mobius decided to draw. You know, it's, it, I don't know how to describe it. So, so yeah, part of it is that the bio horror kind of doesn't really, so far to me has yet to be, it's, it's not really horror, I guess. And so there's part of me where it's like, well, it's, but is it not horror if they're the monsters? 
Because, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't really necessarily think that the, the Paper Girls is a horror comic either. Sure, yeah. But I think that the there is an element of horror in there or using horror um, – I don't know if it's tropes or simply just iconography. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, that's what I mean kind of yeah. by, by the – well, it feels very image. What's What's funny is I, I'm saying this and complaining, and at the same time, like I read Prism Stalker this week. Oh, interesting! And Prism Stalker yeah. is super bio horror, right. and yet I fucking loved it. it you know, one of one of my huge regrets is I purchased Prism Horror, a uh, Prism Stalker, and then didn't get a chance to to read it before we talked. I picked it. I picked it up like about half an hour before we podcast, and like three pages in, I was like. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm never gonna make sense of this in like ten minutes. So it's like I'd come back, it, yeah, which it, I it's love. Something you're gonna read, it's something you're gonna read like two or three times. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 very layered. But like Sloan Leung's just like man, talk about a crazily talented creator. Holy shit, yes. What's interesting to me is it really struck a chord with me, mm-hmm. and it feels like well, that, that's kind of what I mean because I, I hear you go, huh? Because I feel like it shouldn't because it feels very much of the like Brandon Graham's Prophet School, mm-hmm. which did strike a chord for me. But this, this really did. Like this, I was like, oh, this, this is landing. This is really landing for me. Well, you know, cause I, that's interesting. Cause I actually feel like for someone who had bought some of, um, Sloan's comics off a, uh, uh, off a of gum road and things, I remember being really struck by, she kind of has, Elements, like you said, like Brandon Graham's profits, like a good comparison in the sense of there's a very keen intelligence to the world building, but I think with Sloan's work that I've read, uh, there's also a very strong personal, um, yes. thing behind which, it, which, which is, is just what you tend to respond to. You know? Yes, which is very much the case in Prism Stalker. Mm-hmm. Like Prism Stalker, for all the the high concepts, like sci-fi of it all, mm-hmm. is very clearly a story about uh, loss of culture and and loss of identity and, and and who are you if you're cultural if you're removed from your cultural context and surrounded by people who basically seek to nullify that cultural context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is. It is a very personal story. Yeah, yeah, which which makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, no, I did not get a chance to to dive into that, but but yeah, like you said, there's times where it's like it that does kind of feel like, uh, yeah, an Image Comics vibe, I suppose. Uh, and Kirk, Kirkman's definitely putting himself at kind of at the corner of, you know. I guess action comic meets design. And also I think there's a way in which sort of the, the way in which part of me is like Oblivion's eye. I don't know if it's going to hit. It feels well drawn, but also a little on the cartoony side. But I, I, I'm like, but that's how you would describe Saga, which was a monstrous hit. But I don't feel, yes. you know, without, but I with, think, has, has everyone not just been chasing Saga ever since? Well, and that's what I was going to say when, when talking about that idea of kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, even paper girls to an extent there, I think there is a little bit of that idea of, yeah, the kind of funny, but disturbing monster sequences, you know, that, that seems so rife. It does seem like a little bit of saga chasing, you know, that, that there is yeah. that like 
you know, saga nailed such a sweet spot between science and fantasy and whimsy, but also, um, thematic. So yeah, now that I think about it, considering he's like, my brother and family, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this is Kirkman sort of hammy, like, I'm not doing Saga, it's going to be very different, but it, it's going to have a lot of the, but it kind of is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's my attempt to, do, it's my attempt to do Saga right. <laughs> well, no, but I, 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 I think ever since Saga has been such a big hit, you have mm-hmm. seen specifically a lot of image comics. Yeah. Be like, oh, I can do Saga. Right. Well, or not even that. Let me try and do Saga. Let me try and do Saga, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been like, you know, I, I can, I've got this. I, I can't think of someone who's been that bold. But I definitely think there's been a lot of attempts. Oh, I think so too. And I, and part of me is like, again, I mean, comics is all about like, here's a huge hit. Like, let's see how many, you know, it's the, the birth of the superhero is like, Turns out there's plenty of goddamn room on this bandwagon, you know. It's so, so I I think part, but part of me is like, yeah. But I think if we, you know, if if the market had been super high for potty mouth science fantasy comics about families with, you know, weirdo weirdo monsters, I think we I think we would see it more concretely than we have now. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You know, generally I thought it was, it was a strong start to somebody that God, God bless him. I think that Kirkman is, it's weird that he's a guy that I've read a hundred plus issues of his title of his comic book and I, I'm really kind of, you know, if someone asked me if I was a fan, I'd be like, eh, uh, you know what I mean? Like I just feel like well, that, that's that's what's kind of fascinating because I don't think you are a Kirkman fan. I don't think so. I either. think you. No. I think you are a Walking Dead fan. Right, right, right. But Which I is, think that yeah. like mm-hmm. I can't. I honestly can't remember you being going like, you know, I fucking love Invincible, <laughs> or like even Outcast. Outcast you dropped off of relatively quickly. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. So. I think I made it like twelve. I made it the first year, maybe the year plus, and of course the art looked great. But it was Kirk, Kirkman. I don't know. I I think one of the things I think might have really helped Walking Dead is that it came in more or less with a uh, with a target on its head. You know, like according to Kirkman, no one wanted to do it because zombies were super played out, and he promised them that if it wasn't selling, he would bring in aliens, He'd bring in an alien invasion. So then you would have the survivors fighting both zombies and aliens. And Image was like, "Well, okay, now you're now that's a comic. Okay, you can do it." And I kind of feel like I love the, I love that story because it really makes Image sound terrible. It does, and. Frankly, kind of should. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, I think that that's a, I think that's a, it's a great story. But Kirkman comes out in, on The Walking Dead swinging, you know? Like, one of the things that he, he says later is like, oh yeah, you know, I never should have killed Shane or whatever the hell Rick's partner was. You know, as, I wouldn't have killed him as early as I did if it wasn't for the fact that I felt like I really just had to keep things moving. And I think he did. I think there was no, there wasn't a lot of fat on the first year of Walking Dead, he re- or even two years. He really was booking because 
I think he was worried that he was going to get canceled. And, you know, by the time you turn around, you get something like Outcast, which looks gorgeous. But, you know, by like issue seven, I'm like, I, I love how this looks. I love how it's colored. But please don't tell me that like the big dramatic moment is him opening a door, you know, with three inset panels of the hand tightening on the knob. And then the next page is a full page shot of someone sitting in the shadows with their arms crossed, you know, with their legs crossed saying like, ah, it's about time you showed up, you know, like I was like, that's happened four fucking times already, you know, like let's, let's, let's get to the, let's get beyond the, we got, we got some things to do, you know, <laughs> by this point in the planet of the apes, they'd already blown up the planet of the apes, you know, this is, you got to hustle. Is that how you grade things? All, everything, Brian, everything. Yeah, for my my day. Like I come home. Oh my and... god! I I now genuinely want to see you grade like Star Wars through Planet of the Apes rules. Mm. You you mean like the whole thing, or like I would be like, well, it was no conquest of the Planet of the Apes, or do you mean like in terms of like, like the pacing? I, I like or going through twist? the movie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're like, why are these two robots just fucking walking down? Like, yeah. The where if this was Planet of the Apes, there'd be a fucking Statue of Liberty sticking out of the ground well, in the first instance. Okay. Well, to be fair, Graham, there's a lot of walking in the first part of Planet of the Apes as well. So I'm willing to cut Star Wars a lot of slack in that regard. If you're walking through the desert in the first ten minutes of the movie or more, then it's okay. That's perfectly okay. acceptable. Yeah, according to Planet of the Apes rules, you get 15 minutes of walking as long as there's sort of uh, atonal music. And if there's not atonal music, you better tr you should tighten that shit down to like 10 minutes. So yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, there's there, there's in there. I feel you can like at least a podcast, an additional podcast where you just <laughs> lay out storytelling rules via Planet of the Apes. I think I'm I think I'm going to do it. Because if you think about it, one of the things that's great is when you look at all five Planet of the Apes movies, you're like, there's an organic construct from beginning to end. There's some place where people knew where they were going, and it's not like they managed to break the rules. That you know, actually, that's one of the things I love about Planet of the Apes is you watch them and it's like, huh, wow, they really had to, they had to kind of lie to get this little part in. Like, oh, they had to break their own rules for that one, but it's awesome. So, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think it would be pretty great to sit down and be like, okay, people, you all love your Star Wars. Let's talk about why Planet of the Apes is the better film cycle. And um, and then make sure that no one ever finds out my address because I will be, you know, <laughs> killed with hatchets. Uh, yeah, that, that's – anyway, so uh, where were we? Oh, yes, Walking Dead, Oblivion Song, Planet of the Apes. Um have you, Graham? In your sickness, in your in your lying about wounded, has has there been anything that you've had a chance to to read recently? Else, you, you read know, Prison all Stalker. I, you know, really, what I've been reading this week. Uh, I said this on Twitter this week on I think Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Tuesday's ND did a Judge Dredd sale. Oh right, yeah, the first, first anniversary, and so I just bought like four Dread Massive Dread collections. That's great. And I've just been reading. I've been mainlining Judge Dredd. Like, right. I read those four collections, and I was like, I'm not feeling well. I'm fucking going to read, like, all the Dread collections I've got. Well, I tell you... What... I am so into Dread, Jeff. Are I mean, you? Are you just... You're just like, a like, I, I honestly am in awe of how that series has run, like, in the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Like, genuinely, the long game that John Wagner has played is 
fucking staggering. <laughs> and when you read the collections, you really realize it. Hmm. You're like, you motherfucker. <laughs> and I don't know if you planned it or if you're just really good at like picking up clues that he's left. Uh-huh. But it's fucking staggering to read now. Wow. Wow. That is that that's that's pretty fabulous, I have to say. Yeah, cause I, so I I got the the pits collection. Mhm. Which is I should actually look when when that was cuz I want to say that was like uh 2008. Let's see. It was published in 1996. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've been reading what both the collections of works have come out with the last twenty years. Um, the pit is taking dread out of his regular role and putting him in charge of a sector house. Mm-hmm. And is Wagner really playing with the format of the series because he essentially turns it into a soap opera for for twenty odd episodes? Wow! And takes the focus off dread mm-hmm. as well. So all of a sudden, you have all these these younger judges, all of whom are flawed because of course Dredd's been put in charge of the worst sector house in the city, yada yada. Right. Um but within that he starts questioning Wagner starts questioning the rules mm-hmm. of Megan. So all of these judges are flawed, but he really comes back to but are they flawed or are they actually better than Dredd? Right. Like Dredd does the rules better, but is it healthier that dread, you know, can cut off all emotional ties, or is it healthier that these people want to have personal ties mm-hmm. and do lose their shit? Uh, so there's that. I got a collection called Brothers of the Blood, which is basically all of the dread clone stuff. Hmm. Because I didn't realize that dread had has quite so many clones. <laughs> really, I didn't realize that either. Dread himself is a clone. Yes, he's cloned from Fargo, the the original judge. Mm-hmm. And there's his brother, Rico, who is also cloned from Fargo, the original dra- judge. Yeah. But there's also clones of Dredd and Rico. Wow. And there's a bunch of them running around now. Uh, there's there's Kraken, who is the, the flawed second Dredd who brings around Necropolis. Mm-hmm. And that's in, like, uh, probably, like, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But then, around the turn of the century, he introduced a second Rico, there's a character called Dolman who is a clone of Dread who rejects being a judge altogether. Hmm. He introduces Vienna who is the first Rico's daughter, illegitimate daughter. Wow. And he starts really playing with, well, Dread's an old guy now. Mm-hmm. And Dread is suddenly aware of family and the need for family and the fact that he doesn't have a family. Mm-hmm. And so how does he react to all these people? And also... Uh, this stuff happens after the the origins uh, story arc, which ends with them finding Fargo, and Fargo saying, "Oh, this was all a mistake." Wow! Sp- spoilers, everyone who doesn't know the end of Origins. Um, the end of Origins is they find Fargo, and Fargo's still alive, mm-hmm. and Fargo died, and his dying words to Dread were, "Where we did, it, we got it wrong." Mm. It was never supposed to be like this. The police were never supposed to be in charge forever. Like, you're holding up a corrupt system. Mm-hmm. And so Dredd is, is, is really questioning this and fighting this. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's like, what does it mean to have a family? And so you get all these, these like old Dredd stories, essentially, which is how does a man who can't feel emotions uh, deal with trying to build emotional ties when he is, you know, 70 years old? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got the Tour of Duty stories, which spin out of that, and it's all about the mutant, right th- mutant rights thing, which is 
I, I'd unsubtle as shit allegory for racism. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's uh, human supremacists. There's literally like a, a KKK against mutants. Wow. Uh, there's mutants rights, uh, but it's just it's this really dense layered shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was just like, this this is an amazing strip. Like this, this strip does so much and is so ambitious, and because he's had forty years. Like, he just weaves the shit in and out. And then, like, I'm going to leave this for a while. Right. I, and just sets up the, these wonderful things. There's a... Uh, in... Uh, shit, which one was it? I think it's Tour of Duty. He keeps coming back to PG Maybe, who was this character from the 80s, who was a child... Starts off in his, as an Adrian Mole parody. Mm-hmm. He's basically a child psychopath. He grows up and still murders people, but disguises himself as the mayor of Mega City 1. And Wagner doesn't pay this off for years. He just occasionally goes back and is like, yeah, he's still a psychopath and he's still killing people and he's still the mayor. <laughs> and that just doesn't pay it off. Literally for years. <laughs> but he just likes to keep going back and reminding you. Yeah. Because you'll see the mayor every now and again. The mayor will be like, yeah, you know, Dread, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about Dread. And you're like, because, like, you're literally Dread's enemy. Mm-hmm. Of course, like, of course you're not sure about it. But then he'll do something to defend Dread. And you're like, what the fuck is even happening with this story? And he doesn't do anything with it until Day of Chaos. Wow. Like, which is, you know, four or five years down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, it really is. Wagner, at some point, is like, I have so much I can play with, I can literally just pick and choose. I can just literally go, I, I want to remind people about this, I want to remind people about this, I want to do this story, I want to do this story. And by the way, I have a cast of characters that's literally hundreds of people large. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, that's something that, that is, that, uh, you know, I, I feel like something that has gotten a lot of people are aware of kind of what a unique, uh, title Dread is because of that for lots of reasons. But I do realize like his ability to leave and then come back seems like that is something that we rarely see, uh, in comics and and it seems like it's well clearly it sounds like it's working for him but maybe you know it'd be nice to see other people try that you know well but i can't i can't imagine other formats where it would work Mm -hmm. because think about it with the exception of elf quest which has literally just finished its storyline after 40 years yeah i can't think of another comic where the person who created the strip and has been in charge for that long Mm -hmm. has actually been in charge for that long you know, it's the fact that Dread happens in real time. Right. Has been going on for 40 years. Yeah. And a Wagner can just do what he wants with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, like, but I, to I, me, I, but part I, of it is, is like, he, he's not doing it all 40 years at a stretch. And I, it also sounds like, I feel like that does help the title too. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, they have other but, people like, come and go and come back to it. You've, you've read America, right? The Dread I Story America? still haven't. Still haven't. Yeah. The, the end of the Dread Story America. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, America itself is a love story between uh, a character called America. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the narrator of the story. Mm-hmm. And to not give it away. America Happens was released in, shit, 91 maybe? Mm-hmm. America has an impact on stuff that happens like 20 years later. Wow. Not insofar as 
literally the events of that story. Mm-hmm. But insofar as, as a result of that story, there is going, there becomes a character who is really, really important to the story, to the strip. Mm-hmm. Because it's maybe the person that Dread is closest to emotionally. Mm. At the point where other people, like, will openly talk about it. Mm-hmm. The dread has has an unusual attachment to this person, mm-hmm. but that person's role in the strip is unthinkable after you finish the original story. Wow! Like genuinely, you can't believe how it got there. Mm-hmm. But because Wagner had twenty years to do it, everything feels organic mm. because people change over twenty years. Right. Right. You know. Like things happen over mm-hmm. twenty, mm-hmm. and because Wagner can just go back and go, I'm going to leave this character for five years, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to come back and you're, I'm just going to remind you they exist and this is where they are, you and know, then for another five years. Actually, now that I think about it, I was like, oh right, this is kind of what it reminds me of, is um, when Kirby comes back and he does the Hunger Dogs. One of the things that's really satisfying about that is how time has passed, you know, and therefore, like, and Kirby's attitudes have really changed and have changed towards, toward the characters. So, you know, basically the, the, the characters that Kirby has so much faith in when he's doing the new gods in the seventies, he feels pretty differently about when he comes back to him in the hunger dogs in oh definitely and 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 that that really aids to the the richness of the story you know because it really is something that you don't think that he would have necessarily have done if it was just a straight line from there to there you know no kirby has to leave to come back to be so disappointed in is it isak is that the character yeah yeah exactly like he 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 has to step away, mm-hmm. and he has to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that, and that the gap for the reader really helps as well, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like Dread has been in continuous publication for forty years, right? And but I think you couldn't. I think if the hung, I think if the New Gods had been, mm-hmm. the Hunger Dogs wouldn't have have had the same meaning. Well, for you sure, because because sure. other people would have been doing other things with these. Right. Like one of the things that's so rich about Dread as a strip now is there's a bunch of different writers uh, you know there, there's Wagner obviously but like mm-hmm. Rob Williams does stuff mm-hmm. Michael Carroll does stuff mm-hmm. uh, and each of them has their own supporting cast now mm. which is great like I, I said this on Twitter and, and I will repeat it here A for the one notes and B especially for you the uh, Prog 2073 is coming out in I think a week mm-hmm um, and 2080 just sent out preview copies of it. It's amazing. It's it's a, the strongest the series has been in a long time. But the dread strip is Chris Weston and Rob Williams, Ooh. and it's uh, I don't know if you remember Titan, yes, the, the Rob Williams Henry Flint story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the the uh, special judicial squad judge in that, the one who was really suspicious of dread? Yes. It's a strip about him. Oh. It's a storyline about him. Um, and because he's Williams' character. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the writers basically lay claim to characters. Mm-hmm. So that you can, so that Dread is, 
dread doesn't have to change. Mm-hmm. You know, dread can be because he he is because forty years of publication have shown him to be this someone who changes like, like glacially or mm-hmm. incredibly slowly doesn't go doesn't have epiphanies at all. Mm-hmm. You know, dread dread fights change mm-hmm. in turn. He fights emotional epiphany. But the, all the individual writers have other characters that they can tell these stories about. Yes. That Dread is present for. Mm-hmm. The Dread might get, like, you know, the action. Mm-hmm. But he, he can go, no, no, I'm, I'm doing it about this character. Like, right. this, this is this is who the story's about. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's really, really valuable. And, and aids in the fact that you can tell us... You can tell a continuous story for 40 years on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And not exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the, you know? the trick is, yeah, I agree that that having having that that crazily large a cast will really help. Anyway, I uh, want to talk very briefly about Mach One because that oh, I, drops. I, I I actually read that in the bus back down from Seattle. Yeah, I'm very envious. I only read the first. I don't know. 50, 60 pages, and it is Isn't it nuts? glorious. I it, love it's it. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Like, by the time you get to that third story, and he actually goes to a foreign country and goes, I'm here to kill your president. <laughs> I can't believe that shit ever saw print. Yeah, yeah. I, n- I know people are like, well, you know, shit was crazy in the 70s. I genuinely can't believe parts of Mac 1 saw print. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it is... It's absurd how ballsy uh, Mills is going um, with his. I don't, I don't know what the right word is. I, it's like cheekiness. I don't know. You know, it's there's something so wonderfully shitty about it as well. Yeah, and I think that's there's really there's so it. many different creators working on this. I mean, really seriously, if you look at the, the credits. Mm. It's like every single story, there's someone else writing and drawing it. Like the first two episodes have two different writers and two different artists. Oh, really? I did not notice that. I guess because I'm not looking at the credits at the beginning. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's so out there. I also have to say, I had known this because I read that Mills book, you know, um, Oh, through, uh, not through a power overload. What's it called? Uh, be, be pure, uh, be vigilant, behave. behave. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things that he mentions in passing, he's like talking about the design of Mach 1, and he mentioned that he and John Wagner were, uh, fans of Deathlock, the demolisher of the comic at Marvel, and was like, oh yeah, you know, we suggested sort of like, I nicked the idea of him having like a computer brain that he would argue with. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. And then you, re- I read the script and I'm like, fuck, some of these arguments are lifted practically word for word. And so for yeah. me, it's kind of like, oh my, you know, you know me, Graham, the idea of taking the $6 million man, uh, you know, turning him into a super dickish James Bond slash Deathlock the Demolisher hybrid. I'm like, this is the best comic ever. You know, oh, it's, so. it's absolutely bonkers. I mean, and so fast as well. Mm-hmm. Like oh, all yeah. of these stories, for the most part, are told like six pages. Yeah, completely. And, and they are. It's not just you know his missions are 
I, you have to go and assassinate this president. Okay, I will. I'm going to sneak onto the boat to assassinate the president. Oh, no, wait, the boat is actually full of nukes. Now I am on fire. Yes. Now I'm like, fighting people while on fire. I've blown up the boat and the nukes. I'll swim to safety. All in six pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's absolutely fucking insane. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it does, first of all, really make me want to read the action stuff. You know, oh, everyone's God, always yes. you know, action is the British comic, the the one that predated 2008. Everyone's like, oh, it actually went too far and it got shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does because I'm like, if this was them trying to play it safe after action, like, what the fuck was action like? Well, well, as as a as a fan who you know, of course, slobbers over Hookjaw, I can tell you, at least the Hookjaw sections were pretty fucked up in ways well, that were amazing. That when you were in Portland, we went to that like weird ass store and you got the action hardcover. Yes, yes, you exactly. Have to, you have I have it. Yeah, I need to crack it and and really de- dig deep into it. Which I'm like, yeah, I've got this book. I'm so glad. Opens it, tiny font that hurts my old man eyes. I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get. I'll get there. I'll get there. He's got him fight. Like one of my favorite. Um, weird movie genres is that period where um underwater Nazi zombies were like a thing, you know? And yeah, so you got to the Mac One fights for Himmler's gold, but then yes, and I'm like, fucking hell, he's got underwater <laughs> Nazi zombies, and of course it's a fake out, but I'm like, fuck, it doesn't matter in a way, you know? I was like, that's that's how perfectly in tune with like this is everything that I want, and and and. It's weird though. Again, I I have those moments. Remember where I, I said that it was weird reading Pat Mills's book because it kind of felt like I was reading Mark Miller. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's bits in Mach One that read super Miller-esque to me. You know? Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's so it's so crass. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's. It's one of the things I think both of us love about early 2080 is how crass it is. Yes. But Mach 1 is breathtakingly crass. Absolutely. Like you said, the whole like, you know, I've come to kill the president, you know, and, and whatever it is, cause it, it, even the first pages or whatever just make me laugh cause he's, he's going to, uh, Irania and he's like yes. talking about like, how like part of the problem is is because they're uh, invading the neighboring country of Turkestan, and I was just like, "Fucking hell, Pat Mills!" Like yeah, you're not even trying. You know what I love about it? Mm-hmm. Have Have you seen all the great editors' notes that are like, "Don't fucking do this. Are you stupid?" But also, don't let stupid people read this comic. Yes, that one is genius. Sorry, is... speaking only an Earthling category idiot would copy a super Earthling like Mac One. Readers of 2000 AD, I know, are highly intelligent, but do not let my comic fall into the hands of an Earthling with low brain power. I love how genius that is, because I do love the whole Smart. idea of don't be stupid. Yeah, it's but it's also kind of like. That part, and then following it up with like clearly, cause before Tharg shows up, it's, it's this little editor's note that's like, surely you're smart, but don't let your books, like, make sure your books don't fall in the hands of a dum-dum. And I'm just like, I love, there's something that's so spot on about the idea of, um, Mills being aware that, that warning your readers not to do something that's clearly impossible makes you sound like an idiot, but the legal people are insisting 
and the way that he saves it is very much the you're smart, but you know stupid people don't let them have this. I'm like, it's so great. It's genius. Most of us know that there are idiots in the world. Yeah, just just don't let the idiots see yeah, this. Just, just don't. It's, it, but it is. It's so great that it appeals to the snobbery as well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like this is our secret. Yeah. Don't 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 let the lesser people know. Yeah. Is a genuinely genius. Yeah, it it absolutely is. It it is I, everything about it is just so sharp. And so I think that again, it's this idea of like Mach One is so crass, um, and so satisfyingly so that it's really it's I I like I said I only made it through like the first six or seven procs because I've had other stuff to to jump back and forth between, and I was. Uh, Adoring it. Oh, oh my god. I, I especially can't wait for the second collection, if and when they ever get around to that. Oh my god. Because really? it literally just Mac Zero. Oh. oh and then god. if we're lucky, we'll get a third with Blair One. Really? Yeah, there's a Tony Blair parody that's Mac One, except with Tony Blair. <laughs> like, in all seriousness, and it was more than one series. No, really? Yes! Alan Grant wrote it. Oh my god. Blair One. It's, it's a real thing. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Jesus. Um, also, reading this reminded me, I've, I told you before, like, I obviously grew up with 2003, but Eagle relaunched in like 82 or 83. Mm-hmm. And so I would have been like five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, no, if it was 82, I guess it would have been seven or eight. Um, and it was aimed at younger kids, but it was essentially the 2080s stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a essentially Mac one for kids in there called wow. Manix, mm-hmm. which is this. It's it sadly does not have the he did it all through acupuncture of Mac one, which is. I mean, just fucking insane. That's the other the thing ac- that drives me. a computer me. brain, and it all comes from acupuncture. Yes. Not, yeah. Uh, no, Mannix is like outright like it's computers. Um, but I'd love to read Mannix now after having read Mac One. <laughs> you know, to be like, yes. How much of this is literally just recycling Mac One plots? Right. Right. Oh, the other thing was in the Eagle, especially the, the first couple of series of Mannix, it was a photo strip. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, the Eagle had strips for like the first year or so, mm-hmm. and then it switched to like regular comics. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see that shit reprinted. Love to see that because it's 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 Mills and it's Wagner and Grant mm-hmm. again. It's Gary Finley Day. Like it's all the same people who were doing 2008 at the time. Oh my god, the greats! That would be fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I have to admit, sometimes I do wish there was a way they could. Because I again. In that classic, like, oh shit, I never got all the way through this either. Cause, cause some of these stories, if nothing else, some of them are really designed to be read over the course of a week. If you, if you read them all at a go, particularly, cause like I remember in enjo- both loving and being exhausted by One-Eyed Jack, you know, that collection is fabulous. But at the same time, I was also like, by the time I read the eighth absolutely amazing, ridiculous, over-the-top story that had to wrap up in three pages, I'm just like, okay, okay. It's it's like eating super rich food, you know? But I I almost feel, I wish there would be a way to, to you know, that 
that 2000 AD could be like, yeah, we're going to put out an anthology of this, you know, sort of the greatest hits, you know, the greatest inappropriate hits. And it's like, here's Mach 1, here's, you know, Hookjaw, um, you know, Panic in the Streets or whatever the hell the the one is that, that was also an action that everyone lost their mind over, you know. Kids rule okay. Is that not it? That's Where it. I grow is a way of life. Yeah. Yes. Ex- exactly. I man. grow. <laughs> way of life, Jeff. <laughs> Indeed, crap. Thank you. Thank you so much for reminding me. Anyway, so yes, people, if you want something that is really exceptionally insane, I think Mach One drops next week. This week, isn't it set to come out on like the nineteenth or something like that? So I will hang on. I'll, I'll I think look it's up like two it. weeks. Like by the time I you thought Mach One was already out. I don't think I, I so. know. I know that the Strunkham dog book is out really soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, cause, cause honestly, it was one of those things where I was so excited that it was coming out. I put it on my calendar because I wanted to make sure I didn't read it. Mac 1 is out the 19th. The 19th is a big day for releases. Yeah. That's when 2000, uh, 2080 Prog 2073 comes out. Mm. And Strontium Dog and Mac 1 are all out the same day. Wow. And ABC Warriors, the Mech Files 4, although. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and the new magazine. A new magazine set as well. And the magazine's really fucking good right now. Is it? Uh, uh, ah, fuck, I've completely forgotten his name now. Um, the, I'm going to have to look it up and see what his name is, because this is really going to annoy me otherwise. Arthur Wyatt. Arthur Wyatt, uh, is the writer who has been doing the movie continuation strip. Mm-hmm. Um, he is doing right now, co-written by Alex Decapi. Oh, right. The two of them are doing, doing that Dead World thing, right? Yeah, they're doing the final movie dread strip, which is Judge Death. Wow. Uh, but doing it just as an outright horror comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wyatt is also writing the main dread strip, which is literally dread and giant apes, uh, <laughs> on an, on an island, uh, <laughs> called Krong Island, which is amazing. <laughs> Uh, and Lawless, which is like my favorite magazine strip, is just wrapping up its run. Right. Uh, and Lawless is just, I cannot say enough good things about Lawless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I said this last time on the podcast, maybe. Um, people who are dread curious, but also feel weirdly put off by dread himself mm-hmm. as a character. Lawless is a great strip. Mm. Uh, it is literally a Western but it's in the Dreadverse and it's on another planet. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, it's spot on. I love Lawless so much. Mm-hmm. Well, I will, I, will, uh, I will make it a point to try and get my hands on those because I have to say, reading, reading this stuff, I'm like, this is so great. Oh, my goodness, I really... Mm. Everyone everyone should, should sample, everyone who's curious, I should say, should sample the Prog 2073. When it's out, which is the 19th of March. It's, the Dread Strip is really good. Uh, there's a, a new Judge Anderson stri- uh, series. There's a new Strontium Dog, which is really, really good. Mm. Uh, um, there's a Judge Fear story. There's a Future Shock. And there's something else. Sinister Dexter. Sinister, uh, Dan at Sinister Dexter's back. Mm. It's a really strong issue. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, look for it, everyone. That's like right around the corner, I guess. We're 
Uh, let's see. Today, like, we'll, you'll probably be hearing this starting from the twelfth. So, the following week. Yeah, gives 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 you a week to to save up those uh save your creds, I guess. <laughs> One's like the trick, Jeff. <laughs> is is there um. Hmm. So, so you've been reading a ton of Dread. I was like, anything else? I, I'm trying been, to think. I, I, really, I really have been reading a ton of Dread. Um, what else have I been reading? I got some really cheap Justice, uh, Justice League of Americas at the show because, of course, I did. Of course, you did. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not. I really have been reading Dread more than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my defense, I read like maybe 1500 pages of dragon Boss three days no but i see that's it i know you i'm like sure that it's like if that's what you're fixating on i don't doubt that you read a shit ton of it i should oh, yes you know what i read since since we last did the podcast mm-hmm. um and i'm curious if you read it as well the the uh milk horse stuff the dc young animal crossover you know i ended up re- i ended up picking up the Batman Mother Panic uh one shot didn't crack it and then it seemed like it was like two weeks later like there was another crossover and I was like oh, I should get that but I haven't read this other one and then they wrapped it up with the yeah. uh, I mean it was a, it was a weekly it was a weekly right strip. exactly it was a yeah. weekly event sort of thing so so I picked up the Doom Patrol uh Justice JLA special um I, it, the opener or the closer? Because well, there's two. Because right. well, I think the first one is Justice League Doom Patrol, and then the second one is Doom Patrol Justice League. I think that's how they did it. Right. And and we talked about the opener, which was yeah. fabulous. And then oh right, the second one, the the third one would have been was it Swamp Thing Cave Carson? Is that is that yes. what it was? Yeah. Okay. So it, yeah, it was uh, Justice League Doom Patrol. Right. And then there's Shades Wonder Woman. Batman, mm-hmm. Mother Panic, Cave Carson, Swamp Thing. Oh, okay. So there was another one in there. Yeah. Uh, so yes. So I, I did end up picking up The Closer by, um, Orlando Way, Dale Eaglesham, Nick Darrington. Uh, and, uh, it was okay. I got the sense it was more, it felt more like a, uh, an Orlando. Uh, Steve Orlando comic, I guess. I don't know how, how I should or could qualify it, but it felt, it felt like there was a lot of, um, I don't know. It, 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 it was, I didn't enjoy it as much as the first part, which of course was just, you know, glorious. And the second part has lots of really wonderful moments that somehow didn't land for me as much. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, I how did I I got like really dramatically emotionally affected by it. Yeah, it, and and in ways that I wouldn't have expected. Like I I think it's fair that we can spoil it now, right? Because it came out like two weeks ago. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Cliff being human, like for some reason, mm-hmm. really really got to me, especially because it comes after him spending the entire issue basically being like, "Oh, I'm not real." Right. Right. Um, there was something about that that really like gut punched me, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, to this day, I'm still not sure why, mm-hmm. but but it really did get me. Um, and weirdly enough, also makes me feel like I don't need to read any more Jared Wade Doom Patrol. Interesting. I'm uh, kind of like, yeah, I, I feel that the story's done. 
I, I kind of, I kind of see that. It's interesting. One of the things I really like about it, well, cause, you know, they do that and they also wrap up, there's a, a lot of stuff with, you know, Casey and Milkman Man, you know, or yeah. her dealing with her son. And even though at the end she doesn't quite remember it, there's, there is sort of that kind of emotional grace note. There's the return of, as long as we're spoiling this all, the return of Rita Farr and, uh, I don't know. I, uh, one thing I did like the fact that Cliff comes back and not only is he, is he like a person, but he's, he's kind of old. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. He doesn't yeah. come back as like, you know, the handsome race car driver. Yeah. He comes back as a dude who's, who it makes sense has been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, was a race car driver maybe 20, 30 years ago. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, which, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was both funny and interesting for whatever reason. I did not catch on to this, but the, uh, evil villains of retcon, um, the longer I looked at it, the more I felt like they were supposed to look like Paul Levitz and Mike Carlin. And that, like, I had that classic, like, no, but yeah, probably, but no, but yeah, no, I, I had that as well. I was like, they're, they're people. I actually thought Levitz as well. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So part of me was kind of like that. I thought that at first I thought that that was kind of funny, but I also found myself thinking like, um, this isn't just funny. Well, well, I guess there was just something kind of weirdly dickish about it. I don't know. In a way that was kind of like, Oh, ha ha ha. We're biting the hand that feeds, but not really in a way. Well, no, like, I mean, you're really not because at this yeah, point, who, right. who really, I mean, I don't want to say who cares, but also really who cares. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Levis hasn't been with the company for how long now? Right. So part of me is like, it, it, somehow it felt like less than trenchant satire, I suppose. You know, it felt not, it was, it was not a particularly hot, hot take. Let's put it that way. And so. Yeah. Consequently, I think that sort of soured some of my enjoyment and, and not just because their inclusion felt churlish, but also kind of churlish and dated and a little bit of the, I think unlike you, I just haven't connected as emotionally with ways doom patrol, which, you know, we've talked about when we talked about Mm -hmm. that first trade. And so Whereas some of the things that I have liked about Way's stuff has been sort of how, um, I guess fresh is how it's felt, but also I think sort of very, uh, inclusive, I think, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And this was kind of this weird thing of... It stuck out because it wasn't. Yeah, it really wasn't in a way that I was like, huh, that seems kind of petty and you know, like not, not quite on, on brand, I suppose, in a way I found kind of weird. So, yeah. So that didn't work for me. How were the other one shots? Did you, um, I was, the, the reason I was actually asking was I wanted to know what you thought of the Cave Carson one. Cause Cave Carson one, Cave Carson's a series that I've really struggled with. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I feel like I'm reading it wrong because so many people love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cave Carson one was weirdly off putting to mm-hmm. me. Mm hmm. Um, the Shades Wonder Woman one was, 
Oh, how to put this? Not to my taste, but I knew exactly what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a bit too on the nose for what it was trying to do. Right. Uh, which is, it, it's, uh, the, the concept is essentially shade is being kept in seclusion, but is manifesting herself as a multiple different versions of herself, each one of which personifies one emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, these different shades are in service to Wonder Woman who is, you know, seeing herself as the 1950s version of the ideal woman. Mm-hmm. So she talks about how she doesn't really care about uh, feminism. She just wants to make Steve happy. Mm-hmm. It's all a bit on the nose. Right. You know, where you're like, I totally see where you're going, but I wish you hadn't gone this far mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is I have read the first issue of the New Shade series, Shade the Genuine Woman, mm-hmm. and it's far stronger than the last series. And I really like the last series. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure what has changed apart from it feels like Cecil Castellucci has uh, settled into the series and gotten over her awe of the Milligan book. Mm-hmm. Like Shade actually, the, the Shade the Changing Man shows up in the first issue of Shade the Changing mm-hmm. Um as, as someone trapped in the area of madness. And, and it feels like Castellucci's pretty much going, oh, I've I finally gotten over my nerves. Mm-hmm. I've realized this is the book I'm writing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also that I'm not trying to recreate this at all. You mm-hmm. know, because I, I, I liked Shade the Changing Girl a lot, but there really were times where we were like, oh my god, she's literally just studied the Milligan series. Like, she's reusing the exact poetry that Milligan had rack right. Wow. Back when. Mm-hmm. And this time it was more like, oh no, I, I've realized I can move on. Mm-hmm. And I can let the characters move on. Mm-hmm. So that that was worth it in a way that the the Wonder Woman issue is is flawed. Shades mm-hmm. changing in issue one is, feels much much stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Mother Panic, I I didn't love it as much as I should. Like it felt lesser than an issue of Mother Panic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super curious about the new series. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually understand the concept until Emerald City. That was one of the things I did learn in Emerald City, what the new series is of Mother Panic. Okay. Um, it, it, do you know this? The high concept is essentially she gets put back in the wrong world? No. She's essentially dealing with, like, Elseworlds Gotham. Hmm. But it's an Elseworlds Gotham where Batman's gone missing. Hmm. And so she basically has to be the superhero, even so, though she has zero interest in doing that. Right. Right. Huh. That's kind of interesting. I think that's a, right? yeah, that's a good. It's an interesting hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really curious. I think I'm talking to Jody Hauser this week about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it it was again. I feel like a lot of the the this crossover was an interesting diversion, mm-hmm. but not the best work of any of the individual series, with the exception of maybe Doom Patrol. Right. I mean, I'm not sure it's the work of Doom Patrol, but it felt like a Doom Patrol story that everyone else sort of wandered into. Well, yeah, certainly on this part, the parts that worked for me were the Doom Patrol bits, and of course, just the very first issue was a crossover with that still Doom work. Yeah. yeah, oh my god. And and I do feel in a way that part of me is when I picked it up, is like, oh, this is going to be great. And believe me, the, the art by uh, Dale Eaglesham is... 
more than serviceable. It's really, really quite strong. There's bits and pieces of it where it it's it feels uh, almost Chris Weston ish, you know, in, in a way that I'm like, oh, I should be loving this. Um, but there's something about you know, Dale um, uh, Nick Darrington comes in and does the 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 final Bad pages, yeah. yeah, and then at that point things are just singing. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, it's it, the Darrington's epilogue. It works in a way that the rest of the issue doesn't. Yeah, yeah, very strongly so in a way that's kind of and maybe because part of that is very much addressing. The need for the Doom Patrol, I guess, and also the way in which I feel way ties the idea that the need for the Doom Patrol and the need for Young Animal are intertwined, I think, in the way that he, I guess he conceives them, but certainly in the way that he's selling them, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I can see that. And I thought, I thought that that was actually that made a lot of sense in that particular moment in, in those, for those pages. But part of it, it really is just kind of like, Oh my God, Nick, it's just like, these are just, these pages are so beautiful. They just make me ache. You know, I do wonder where Darrington's going to go. Cause yeah. I feel like Doom Patrol has kind of finished mm-hmm. just cause it, like it's the schedule has been so fucked up. Yeah. Um, I wonder where DC's going to put Darrington next or if Marvel's going to steal. I hope I hope Marvel doesn't steal him. You know what I mean. I, I also hope Marvel doesn't steal him, but I also DC put him on a, a, a like a good book. You know? I I I have to tell you one of the things that I thought was interesting. Part of it, I think part of it's on the island in the the style that he's drawing them. But I think if if uh, if DC's got any sort of like ideas for stuff that's you know um new frontier related like put 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 Darrington on it you know Darrington really has his own line and his own simplicity that that can make me feel like gives me that feeling of reading Darwin Cook's artwork without without feeling like it's imitating Darwin Cook you know what, what I mean what is fascinating to me is DC Rena has uh, Darrington, they've got Doc Shaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, there may be others coming. Uh, and it's like, I feel DC needs to come up with a way to use these artists who have very clean lines. Yeah. Who have, I don't want to say simple art because it sounds like an insult, but you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's like the referencing Cook is, is a really good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Like, very clean art. Mm-hmm. Very... Uh, it is very simple. It, it's it's beautifully cartoonish in the very best ways. Yeah, exactly. And DC really needs to work out somewhere to put these artists. Yeah, yeah. You know, like don't get me wrong. I I uh, I'm really looking forward to Doc Shaner on the terrifics. I mm-hmm. thought that first issue was pretty strong, but the entire time I was like, when Doc Shaner's on his book, I'd rather than Ivan Rice, this would be a better book. Oh, I I can just imagine. That it, it's like gonna... you can't read the first issue without going. I wish Shannon was drawing this book already. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Ivan Rice's stuff. Ivan Rice is a good artist, but he's f- too fucking slick for that comic. Mm-hmm. Like there really are parts where you're like, this meet cute with Phantom Girl would be so much better if Talk Shannon was drawing it. Mm-hmm. Right, because I think there's a 
I think that I, yeah, it's not just we keep we keep coming back to talking about simplicity. Um, and I think the other word that is just as dreaded in, in comic book circles or seems to be damning with faint praise, but isn't is charm. You know, there's yeah, like, yeah. there's a charm to Shaner's work. There's a charm to Darrington's work that, 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 yeah, that when you say rice is slick, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's I mean, there, there's a charm to, to go back. There's a charm to Erica Henderson's work. Yeah, right. You know, she fits. She fits firmly into this school as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With yeah. her such personality and such uh, an affection. Yes. But by, by by the artists for the characters and for what's been drawn, mm-hmm. that it it really really shines through and and it impacts the reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be. I I actually did like the first issue of Terrifics a bunch. Uh, it's by far for me the most successful of this New Age of Heroes line so mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. Um, in large part because Lemire plays it straight, for want of a better way of putting it. Right. Uh, I feel like Lemire has three modes when he's writing superhero books. Mm-hmm. He has the uh, the mode of something like a Moon Knight or or his green arrow mm-hmm. where he he's like you know i'm i'm making art i'm telling a story I, i'm you know i am a storyteller <laughs> um he's got the phoning it in of his x-men stuff mm-hmm. um and he's got this thing that he's doing with with terrifics which is pretty much just getting the job done mm-hmm. you know and getting the job done can be enough and for this book in particular, I think it will be because the characters, it's a really interesting combination of characters. You know, Metamorpho, Plastic Man, Mr. Terrific, and essentially Phantom Girl 2 mm-hmm. is, I, sure, it's the Fantastic Four, but it's also enough of a, an odd collection. Mm-hmm. That you can just be like, oh, I'm just going to write these. I'm just going to write the straights, and there'll be enough again charm, right, to get people to the end of the issue, right. Yeah, which is where I can see yeah, bringing in Doc Trainer and letting him exactly bring in Trainer, and you're going to be like, well, this book's just singing now, right, right, exactly. Huh. Yeah. Uh, hmm. It's. I forget. I feel like wasn't. In fact. This week, was it this week where the whole thing was like, cause as we know from previous faux pas on, on Jeff's end, on previous episodes, I can't keep Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent apart, tell them apart, sadly. Or Jeff Lemire is also, apart, Jeff Lemire is also doing the new Century series for Marvel. Right. Which has a really big kind of, like, there's multiple what the fucks going on there, right? Yes. I like, don't get it. Like, like the Century, I don't... Uh, here's the thing. I'm not reading Doctor Strange right now. Uh, I'm also not reading Thanos. So everyone who's like, Donny Cates, man, I just... I literally don't get it. Mm-hmm. He's c- just continually writing characters that I have no interest in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything I'm hearing just makes me go, and this is good? Like, people being like, he brought the Sentry back. Sure. <laughs> Cosmic Ghost Rider. Okay. Right. Like, I, it, I, it's so lost in me. Right. But yeah, Sentry's a spin-off from Donny Cates' um, Doctor Strange. Hmm. But 
Has the Sentry story not been like finished like three times by this point? Yes. How many times can you do the? No, there's also the void. Oh, is he going to be self-destructive? Ooh, maybe. Is he going to go nuts because he's nuts? Ooh, maybe. I mean, well, okay. There's there's two yeah. things here before I return to it. But the first thing is is again part of why this is drives me nuts: uh, the inability to tell Lemire and Kent. Wasn't Lemire the one who was at Marvel, left, came back to yes. DC, and more or less was, was like was relatively vocal about not liking Marvel? Yeah, yeah. Like it's good to be home. Marvel yes. was a mess. The fact yes. that he's oh, Marvel was a mistake. Why he's back, nobody knows. Right? Like genuinely, I can tell you right now that I've been talking to various comic journalists this week, and everyone's like, not only is that a surprise, none of us understand it. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I first was. Is it old work? Which would be fascinating, but... I, I, I mean, it can't be. It's an ongoing series. Yeah, exactly. I sort of also wonder if there's kind of a little bit of... And stick with me, because this is crazy conspiracy-ish. C.B. Sobolski, uh is uh, been... So we've been told repeatedly... The editor in chief of Marvel Comics, and That's apparently uh, right, exactly. And we're also told repeatedly that he's great with talent and recruiting talent. And part of me wonders if they weren't kind of like, what's really going to illustrate that? Is like, what if we bring back this guy who left, went to DC, and 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 is one of the few people openly talking about like what a crazed you know monkey house Marvel is. Uh, I will. I mean that is that's definitely a theory. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the the thinking, mm-hmm. it's somewhat betrayed by like Samney going, uh, Koipel going. Sure. Uh, you know other artists yet to disappear, disappearing. Yeah. Yep. Jumping ship. Yep. No, I agree. And those were people, how do I put it? That almost all but guarantees to me that idea of like, yeah, like those people all left in a relatively short period of time. Marvel's kind of like, uh, and, and maybe it wasn't, maybe it's not old work, but maybe the century was like an old pitch that Lemire got like to the second or third round so it was relatively fleshed out and they were like you know what maybe we should go back and do this you know I mean who knows for all we know like basically you know Marvel Publishing got the call from like Marvel Studios who were kind of like yeah hey listen by the way uh, we didn't mention this but we're we're bringing in the Sentry for the second part of, you know, yeah, Avengers exactly. Infinity War, and they're like, fuck, fuck! <laughs> we gotta no, clean we, this we, place we, up! <laughs> yeah, we've decided we need to, we need our own Superman in the movie, so we're, we're using the Sentry. Yeah. Like, that's the cliffhanger of Infinity War. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. I don't know. I mean, my, my first thought, honestly, was either uh, Lamar's problem with Marvel was Axel Alonso. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Myers problem with Marvel was doing the big books. Uh, Marvel basically came back and said, you can do the century and we don't give a shit what you do. Right. It's possible. Well, and or, and or, I think... Because Moon Knight was really critically acclaimed. Well, like, see, that's it. Loves. 
I actually half wonder if part of it is is that Moon Knight was critically acclaimed and they were able to move trade copies in the bookstore market and were, were kind of like, uh, we maybe we should get this guy back. Like, there's just a confluence yeah, it, of in events. a way that they couldn't, in a way that they lost Tom King after Vision. Yeah, really broke. Yeah, you know exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think I think maybe there's that idea of like, yeah, we can still get this guy. We should still get this guy. As for the Sentry, the Sentry is one of those things that I'm shocked by. You know, I remember when Bendis brought the Sentry back in Avengers. Uh, and when I say back, I think all he'd been in, it had been in the, the first, his own miniseries. Yeah. And the way that Bendis introduced the character, I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking great. And then, and then it felt like it just went on to get wasted, like literally, but part of me is the idea, because it really seemed very heavy that when Bendis reintroduced Sentry, was the idea that the Sentry was a godlike... A time bomb. A time bomb, but also a self-insert fan... Basically a self-insert fan fiction in the Marvel Universe. Like, Mm -hmm. a person who had the power had recreated themselves inside the universe as the world's most powerful superhero. But the person with that power was also, um, you know, mentally ill. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great because this could be sort of a really awesome meta story about the the way we insert ourselves into narratives, the way the readers insert themselves into the narratives, the way uh, uh, creators in, in, introduce them. Because I think that was, wasn't that one of the things is when Bendis introduces it, part of it is Paul Jenkins shows up as as a character inside the story who's pleading with the Sentry to to remember. I, you, you remember much better than I do. Uh, I, I think I, 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 rem- I just remember the part of like the guy being like, I'm Paul Jenkins and it's really important that you listen to me. And me being like, oh, that's could be, this could be really great. And then it was kind of like, oh, I'm the Sentry and now I will flex and now I will destroy things. And it was kind of like, yeah, we need a Thor character, but Thor's dead, but it's always so important with the Avengers that you have a Thor character because let's face it, storytelling's hard, you guys. And at the end of the day, you really kind of need a deus ex machina to wrap things up and, and get out of the way because comics, they're tough to pace, you know? And, um, and so the idea that the century is coming back, there is part of me, particularly because Lemire did such a meta take on Moon Knight that like, again, part of me is like, oh, that's like, he did such a good job with Moon Knight that I'm like, I can see why you would think that it would be a good idea to let him do the same thing with the century, which kind of, as far as I can tell, has always had this one element just kind of dangling there that never as far as I know because I stopped reading the series that he was involved in ever really got resolved or played with but in a way part of me is like yeah it's so obvious that I'm kind of sort of hoping that they don't do it in which case what do you have like you really don't have what is there Yeah. yeah you know so I don't know I I do not know Graham McMillan talking about C.B. Sabalski being the editor in chief uh, this is, uh, I, unlikely, this is a question that I think I know the answer to, but did you happen to see or read 
the PR about the Life of Captain Marvel miniseries that Marvel put out this week regarding Joe Quesada. No. It's amazing. Um, this, this, so they announced the series anyway. So this is not to announce the series. This is a second press release for this book. Mm-hmm. And it's press release theoretically to announce that Joe Quesada has done a variant cover. Okay? Mm-hmm. Joe Quesada, you and I have talked about, is, is active in publishing with Marvel right now. Mm-hmm. In a way that he hasn't been in years. Some would say he's the editor-in-chief of Marvel right now. Yes. I would never be one of those people, of course. Mm-hmm. Joe Joe's just helping out while CB is not in the country because that's exactly what you want from your editor-in-chief. <laughs> this is the official PR. You ready? Yes. Quote from Margaret Soule, who's writing the book. Writing Life of Captain Marvel has already been an extraordinary experience, one of those rare times in a writer's life when the fictional universe you inhabit seems more real than anything else. I'm so grateful to Sana Amanat and Joe Quesada for helping shape it. They're both huge, blazing talents in the writer's room. It's a deeply personal origin story, a family story, an emotional story. Somehow, both very big and very small, and the way Carlos draws it has changed the way I think about comics. He breathes as much life into her as any words ever could, probably more. Life and all the things that means Carol, uh, Carol at the moment, regret and resolve and hope. I always knew Joe was an incredible artistic talent, but life has shown me a new side of him as a creator. We truly have joint custody over Carol's origin story here, and I'm so grateful to share her and this journey with him. He's taught me so much about visual storytelling and heart. Isn't that kind of amazing? There's a press release just to say how great Joe Quesada is. Wow. That's it. That's that's the text of the press release. That's that's it? There's no other... Wow. Uh, there's solicit information. Oh, okay. At least like, there's that. Marvel issue 1 of 5, mm-hmm. written by Margaret Stoll and Carl Pacheco. Uh, and there is the, the Quesada cover. That's, that is amazing. And that's it. But mm-hmm. isn't that amazing... That it's really is a press release just to be like, you guys, Joe Cassatt is the best. <laughs> so dreamy. He's so dreamy. Well, it could be, who knows? I mean, who knows? Yeah, that just sounds, that sounds. It's the weirdest press release. Yeah, that sounds pretty ridiculous. Especially because, cause that is not even, like, it's not even like she's saying it about the editor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's saying it no. about the person who, who drew the, the cover. And apparently co-wrote the, the series. Oh, right, and co-wrote not the series. Not credited. Yeah, not but, credited. But, but not not credited. It, she shares the story with him, um, but it's not credited. And he's <laughs> great. In the writers' room. Like, there's a writers' room now, right? That, for like, what, what's even going on yeah. with this? It's yeah, the yeah. weirdest press release. Yeah, that's wild. That's really wild. Well, who knows? Maybe that's the thing. Maybe Casada is like, okay, like I'm calling you into the room and we're going to talk through what you're going to, like, maybe they really have yoked this stuff so strongly to Casada and he's so doing I, damage I control. Think, I think Casada is fulfilling the role for fresh start that, uh, Jeff John said for Rebirth. Because you may or may not remember, like when Rebirth started, Jeff John's literally Sat down with every single writer of every single book. Oh, I did forget that. Like, I was like, "Who is this character? You have to. You basically have to get my approval 
before you you get to go forward. And it sounds very much like, especially because Jesus, did you see the the uh, Captain America announcement? Uh, no. I mean, apart from I, I remember Coates. I've read something where is Coates talking about it, about it, but. But I feel like it was his announcement. Was it his announcement in the Atlantic? Was yes. that where he announced yes. it? Okay. That's the weirdest thing about C.B. Sabalski. Yeah. Like, it's so weird that uh, Matt Turtle actually wrote to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been looking in my editor, Sana, Sana Aminat, who brought me on, Will Moss, who edits Black Panther, but Tom Brevoort, who's editing Captain America, C.B. Sabalski, I'm going to see this. C.B. Sabalski, who just helped me refashion the script to the first issue. Ooh. And actually, Alonzo, who first broached the idea of writing me, uh, of me writing Cap, wow, is the weirdest thing. Who just helped me refashion the script to the first issue? That's really wild. Hmm. So you know, rewriting's happening. CB is hands on, not as hands on as Joe Casada, apparently. <laughs> you know what? Here's where we find out that CB Sabolski, like it, it's. It's the whole, the Akira Yoshida thing. C.B. Sabolsky doesn't actually exist. It's been Joe Casada all along. It's his, it's his other identity. No, I've seen, I've seen the Fresh Start video. <laughs> See, sure, they're, they're both like fat pasty guys, but that, they're, they're clearly different, different fat pasty guys, but that's what I'm saying, Graham. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's the actor who portrays C.B. Sabolsky, you know? Whose name, ironically, is Akira Yoshida. <laughs> You see, it's all it's all wheels within wheels, man. They're like five steps all, ahead. It's all of us. coming together. It's yeah. all coming together now. Oh man, <laughs> Jeff, we should wrap this up. We're over two hours, and honestly, my my throat's starting to go. Oh no, you poor guy. Yeah, absolutely. We we should definitely uh, wrap this up. One thing I should tell you, and I really hate to say it because it's one of those cases of, um, I have not done my homework, but oh good. Uh, I, I don't know. I, don't, I literally don't know what this is, and I'm super nervous now that you said that. Oh, good. I'm glad you're nervous. You should not be. You should not be nervous. Uh, Zach Smith, who listens to the podcast, who is the uh, in, is an incredibly talented artist, does a podcast. We eat art with, and this is where I'm going to screw things up. Uh, John Mijas, M E J M E J I A S, and. If he's listening, please forgive me because he's like, hey, you asshole, all you had to do was listen to the podcast that you're going to be guest appearing on and you would know oh, how to shit, say my name. Oh, shit, you're going to be guest appearing on? I'm going to oh, be guest yes. appearing. We're recording an episode where we're going to be talking about Black Panther. Uh It's going to be Zach and John, Mark Thomas Gibson, who's like the artist and a uh, curator uh of a big show with uh Black uh, fine artists and comic artists, uh, and me, who's being called in to be the dude who gets to talk about, um, the Don McGregor Black Panther run with, uh, McGregor and Billy I, Graham. This, this is so great. Yeah. I'm very excited about this. That makes me very happy. Jeff, you're, you're recording this when? Uh, I'm actually recording it tomorrow. So. And when do you think it's going to be released? I, I don't know, but I will make it a point to spam people on the wait what Twitter and uh when when Please it does do. go live. Yeah. 
Yeah, because well, I, I know that I really want to listen. So, yes. Oh, thank you. That'd be thank great. You. Yeah. So, We Eat Art, I'm appearing there. And God bless, it was one of those things where uh, the last time I appeared on a podcast, I think it was when I was talking about Jaws on Intuit with the delightful L. Collins, you were like, you didn't tell me! <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. You're like, I was strangely possessive. You didn't tell me. So, I'm like, Graham, I'm just letting you know now. I'm stepping outside I get, the marriage. I get sick. Exactly. I get sick and you just, like, fuck off. <laughs> I count. <laughs> Jesus. I know. I know. I'm a, I'm apparently a terrible human being. Just terrible. But well, I'm a terrible to, human to be being that's yes. going to be appearing on We Eat Art, and I will let you guys all know when it goes up, because it's going to be us talking about Black Panther, uh, and I'm very excited about it. That That is very, very exciting. Yeah. So, uh, so that being said, now that that's out of the way, let's get to our closing comments. Oh God, yes, our closing comments. Do you mean the comments where I point out the show notes for this episode? And let's face it, almost every goddamn episode can be found at waitwatpodcast.com. Those close comments where I talk about the fact that we have a Tumblr, waitwatpod.tumblr.com, and we have a Twitter at waitwatpodcast, and that you have a Twitter solo at lazybastard.lazybastid. And I have a Twitter at Graham M at G R A E M E M. Those com- and and also that we are a Patreon supported podcast, uh, which I then stop talking and then you take over. I I actually kind of meant like when you said when we'll be back and what we'll be discussing, but yeah, no, this is all good stuff too. I forgot that we do this every week, so I'm glad that you mentioned that, Graham. <laughs> We're going to be back next week with a Baxter building. I. I <laughs> Yes. I can say that too. But I also mentioned Patreon, which is your your cue, Jeff. <laughs> is it Graham? Is that usually when uh I mention the fact that I appreciate all of our listeners? Um and you know? I thank you for putting up with us for everything. And then usually I start to split hairs between our regular listeners and the listeners of Patreon. And isn't that around the time that you jump in and go, ah, 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 ah. Look, no, the throat's going. I I can't even do half of that right now. <laughs> okay. Let's just take that part as right. Like, yeah, I, all right. I, I, my, I think I'm this like, is ah, the part. Ah, right, like, exactly, exactly. We are super grateful to all of our listeners, uh, you know, and the people at Patreon who, uh, go out of their way to throw us a little bit of the, uh, ye old cosmic dosh, as it were, to, uh, um, Galactic Groats. Uh, Galactic Witch? Groats. Galactic Groats. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I kind of, what did I use the other week? Cubits? I kind of wish I, I wish I had sort of kept up with the Cubits reference just because that's a, or started researching some of the other, like, what the hell is the currency in Star Trek? It's not just credits, is it? I, I, gold press latinum. Ooh, there you go. Look at you. Uh, anyway, we're, we're grateful to all that incredible, amazing currency. You should look for, uh, uh, at some point I'll start referring to wait what dollars, um, which is a cryptocurrency <laughs> that grandma and I are going to be starting soon. So look, look for that. That's going to be very exciting for, for everyone that you'll be able to not only pay us, but pay everyone in wait what dollars, the new cryptocurrency that actually is not arriving. I'm making up or am I, uh, 
And you might have started that making up and then changed your mind midway through. I know. It's like partway through, I'm like, oh, but this kind of would be great, wouldn't it? You know, anyway, uh, we also want to thank, um, the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, we're especially grateful to their continuing support of this podcast and this, uh, sector of the galactic space. Um, thank you. Thank you for continuing to support and not destroy. Graham? You know, if we always talk about t-shirt slogans, <laughs> continuing to support and not destroy would be a great t-shirt. <laughs> you know, it, it actually does. It's got a little bit of a ring and I think it would look good on a shirt. Yeah. Continuing to support and not destroy. <laughs> I'd like to think that that's our attitude towards comics in general. Exactly, exactly. I've been reading a Some lot of Don McGregor, and I, I'll be honest, I believe that is the title of Jungle Action number 15. So, uh, so I, I, I have to, have to admit my plagiarism when, when it's staring me in the face, Graham. I, don't I, I, I literally don't know if you're making a joke now or not. <laughs> I genuinely don't. I, cause here's the thing. That could be true. No, because issue 15 I've just looked up is called Thorns in the Flesh, Thorns in the Mind. Yeah, right? Ah, oh, God love you, Don. all of our past decades have seen revolutions. Yes. That's my favorite. Like, that genuinely might be my favorite title. You know, it, it, that may be your favorite title, but you should really search on the splash page, too. Do oh, you... no, I, I, I saw the splash page for some reason. Yeah. Uh, just today. Uh, of Black Panther and Monica Lynn, his lady love, riding enormous sea turtles. Yeah, that's so good. I, but I like the and the the, the Eisner-esque uh, water letters that go underwater. Yes, it's lovely, lovely yeah. page. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many great Eisner-esque things that they end up doing with the titles. In fact, in Jungle Action 18, which is called Epilogue, Epilogue is floating in the air like a like a you know as a title blurb and then on the next page like the panther's like jumping and you can see a corner of the sky where it says epi and then and then at the very end of the episode after he's you know he and the survivors have come to terms with the fact that that you know war leaves scars man uh they're walking and you can still see epilogue floating in the sky in the shape of clouds That's it's it's awesome. Like, honestly, I was reading it. I'm like, you know what? If Graham isn't getting enough Bob Haney-esque subtlety and nuance in his life, he should really dip his toe in and read Don McGregor. I think it would it would make him very happy. He said... I read those comics uh, a couple of years ago. Like, at your... At your yeah, suggestion. firm insistence, yeah. Yeah. Um, clearly, I need to revisit. Yeah. Yeah, because I think part of me is sort of like, I think you probably read them being like, because I was very, very serious about them. And I still am. But honestly, I think if you reread them, like reading some of the captions, I was like, yeah, I think I think honestly, if you look at this as like almost Haney-esque levels, but Haney is a little more clued into the deliberate camp of it. And McGregor's just out there. Oh, McGregor was McGregor was stunningly sincere. Yeah. Anyway, that Haney, I think, really was like, ah, oh, this this bullshit's bullshit. <laughs> I, I think that I think that uh, McGregor really was like, no, I'm, I'm like, I'm pushing the boundaries. I'm making art. It is, and it's huge. It's it's it's, and it's still 
it's still awe-inspiring to me. But, you know, but I would see you revisiting it and being like, mm, mm, Oh, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I feel like I, I feel like I do. I feel like I need to revisit and, and, and see how I feel about it now. <laughs> but that's, that's in the future. Yes. Because, uh, next week we're going to be reading some goddamn, uh, Walt Simons and Fantastic Four again. Yes. Do you remember what issues offhand? Like 342? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, we're doing 342 through 349. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's going to be great. We're, it is going to be great. We're going to include some, um, Art Adams in there. Yes. Finally, you guys talk about Ghost Rider and Baxter Wilson. I know. Yeah, it's going to be exciting for me. Going to be hugely exciting. In a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until then, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say goodbye, but I'm not going to sing it because really it might genuinely hurt my throat. So instead, I'm just going to pass over to Jeff to do it for once. Oh my god, my throat's dry. saliva. Bye! That was great. That was great.